0: We make USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of
1: discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at usaa.com/bundle. USAA. Restrictions apply. This program is sponsored by Amplify Peace.
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Amplify Peace. We are all about exploring how we can listen, learn, and live differently in this crazy world. Together, we want to discover the impact of empathy, the strength of unity, the power of love, and the beauty of humanity. I'm your host, Lisa Jernigan, and joining me today is author and a new friend in my life that I think we're going to be doing life together for, for quite a while here, Mercy Aiken. Mercy Aiken who recently published the book, Yet in the Dark Streets Shining. It's a Palestinian story of hope and resilience in Bethlehem. And Mercy, I have been looking forward to sharing this with you, you know, this conversation with you and learning more. So welcome to Amplify Peace.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It's really a pleasure and honor to be here with you today.
0: Well, before I jump into something that's a little, you know, this is, this is gonna be a hard conversation in some ways, but yeah, it's gonna be beautiful and you can hold the tension of both, right? We can yes. hold hard and we can hold beautiful at the same time, but I just want you to share with, um, with our listeners, you grew up in one of the most unique places I've ever heard of. So can you share, it? I mean, since so <laughs> I shared that story, but I'm like, wait, you grew up where So before we get started, share with our listeners, where was home for you when you were growing up?
1: I should have known this question would come up. I know, right? I'm still (laughs) amazed by it, right? (laughs) I I grew up in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. My dad worked for the Park Service. He ran the Pump House down at Roaring Springs, which provides water to the North and South Rim. We were the only family that lived uh, in our house by the side of the trail. Our nearest neighbors were Cottonwood Campground, a mile and a half down the trail, and those neighbors were rangers and people <laughs> hiking across the canyon. <laughs> our next closest neighbors were was the North Rim of the Grand Canyon, and then came Phantom Ranch, and then the South Rim. So I grew up in a kind of isolated place, but also surrounded by the nations of the world continually, and people from all over the country walking by our door all day long. So it was both very international and Isolated at the same time, which was a strange uh, contradiction. I mean, for sure, right? I mean, <laughs> I just thought about that. Like to go like to go shopping for you guys, you just don't go shopping,
0: right? No. Like we would nope. do. Like, I mean, that is an event,
1: right? If you needed to. It was to go a big shopping. event. We would have to drive to Flagstaff or the South Rim, do all of our shopping, drive back. You'd have to hike out, right? First, we'd have to hike out. Yeah. I mean, it would be you know, a 48 hour project at the shortest, just to get like our groceries, (laughs) we'd have to take them to the helipad where they would be flown down on the helicopter or packed in by mules. If we took them to the North Rim and some of them, we just carried in ourselves on our back.
0: I just, I just can't even fathom that. So it's like, you have one of the unique, most unique places of growing up that I've, I've really ever heard of. Cause I've been to the Grand Canyon and I just can't imagine having to go down and yeah, you know, anyway, I just thought that was really unique.
1: And well, I, thanks I love for that bringing story. That, yeah, I love <laughs> that story.
0: Um, well, I'm going to switch gears here, and it's kind of abruptly switching gears going from that. But um, right now, we're just sitting in a place where our hearts are heavy and we're hurting with all the violence that is happening yes. right now in Israel, Palestine, and even in our world, and even on a national level, we've had mass shootings. There is so much pain and suffering, conflict and division. And it's more important than ever to continue that with the work that we're doing together to counter these dangerous narratives and the effects of division and polarization that we're seeing. So how do we honor our humanity and see every human being as this image bearer of God with divine DNA? It seems overwhelming, but at the same time, we can't stop the work of peacemaking. And I know this is what you are giving your life to. It's what I'm giving my life to, and it matters. So I just want to say, first of all, Thank you for showing up and stepping in to those hard, messy places to be a light and to call out the darkness. It's like, it really matters the work you're doing and the words you're saying. And uh, so thank you.
1: Mm, thank you. Before we get started.
0: And to um, you <laughs> I just want to ask you to just to share a little bit about, about you, your story beyond the Grand Canyon um, and why you do what you do.
1: Okay. Um, you want me to start with how I ended up in Bethlehem?
0: Yes. Share us a little bit. Like, what what do you do? I know you're an amazing writer. Mm-hmm. And so you've written. so, And it's taken you to the Middle East, to Palestine. Mm-hmm. So just share with that, like, how did you end up there? Mm-hmm. And really immersing yourself um, mm-hmm. with people and culture and just spending quite a bit of time there.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, interestingly, what sort of propelled me to go over to Palestine was, the war in 2014 when Gaza was being bombed. You know, here we are almost 10 years later. Like, I don't know how many bombing situations like that that we have sort of on the outside had to live through and just look at and feel very helpless about. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know exactly how, I just know it was the Lord. Somehow he gripped my heart for the people of Gaza because I was seeing that there was no, very little to no empathy or sympathy or compassion that was being extended to these people, and I just I felt like something is wrong here. Um, what in what part of the Christian world you know and the, theologically, like is this okay to not have some compassion mm-hmm. and 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 concern for people who are living in a situation like the people in Gaza live in? Like, would Jesus Christ be supportive of just them being bombed and not having any? No, of course not. The Lord cares about these people. And I was just kind of surprised in 2014 when I just shared what I thought was sort of an innocent little post on Facebook, like, to all my friends who are praying for Israel, thank you for praying for Israel. While you're praying for Israel, think about praying for the people in Gaza too. And I just talked a little bit about the situation, which I really didn't know that much, but I just knew enough to... I knew enough to feel that I needed to say something. Um, And it was like all hell broke loose for me. Like I I woke up the next morning and all these people were furious at me for saying what I had said. And people had been arguing all night long. And that's when I sort of something for me went, there's something really big here. It's something very deeply rooted. It's like something down at the ancient roots of the mountains that's like stirring here in our psyche. And I need to understand this. And I just, it was a calling from the Lord is really the only way I can say it because I just woke up every morning thinking about Israel and Palestine and went to bed thinking about Israel and Palestine until finally, like in my desperation to understand the situation better, I came across a video of a Palestinian man in Bethlehem. He had white hair and he was standing underneath the separation wall and he was saying, Pray for the church in Gaza, which is being bombed right now. And it said, Alex Awad, Bethlehem Bible College. I don't know how it came across my feed, but I went, Bethlehem Bible College, what's that? So I went and Googled it, and that's how I found Bethlehem Bible College, where I ended up spending um, many of the next years of my life and um, helping to tell the story of that college. But that's how it began.
0: (laughs) Curiosity, right? And And God putting a calling on your heart.
1: Yes. Yes, I would. And, and there's a lot more I could say about how I really know that the Lord called me into this. But the Lord made it very, very clear that he was calling me to engage with this issue um, and to be with the Palestinian people, especially the Palestinian Christians, and to amplify their story to the world because they are forgotten and overlooked. And so many people are not even aware of their existence. Yeah. Sure. Uh,
0: well, you know, it's interesting because you and I have both done quite a bit of traveling and in the Middle East and different places. And then uh, when you come back home and when something happens in one of these countries you've been at, it's not the people over there. It is now very personal because these are now friends and you have a name and a face to put with a country. And that's what's always amazing. Like, you know, whatever happens somewhere, it's like, oh, I know people now. It's, yes. It touches my heart in a different yes. way. Yes. It's not geographical anymore. Right, it's, right. It's human. It's personal. And that's what happened to you. And you met this beautiful family, um, which, you know, I I know this family. I love this family too. Um, And you talked about Bethlehem Bible College. I didn't know that existed either. And I think there's a misperception. We don't really know. We hear the name Palestine. We we know Israel, but when you hear Palestine, we're not really sure. Well, who are Palestinians? We've been taught a negative narrative about them. But when you go there, I remember the first time my husband and I went there and a friend said, I want you to just go walk the streets. I just want you to go see it. And uh, we were with, um, you know, our friend Sammy and we the people we ate in their restaurants and we walked the streets. And it was just beautiful experience. And the people because we were with people and we we're in proximity and it changed everything for us. And so it was one of those, like, "Hey, we we got to lean into this, too, because yes. a beautiful land that has a very hard story. But yes. there's beautiful people there.
1: Yes.
0: And believers, Christians. Yes. yes. And when you ask them, what would so you know, and you probably have the same thing. When I when we'd ask them, like, how long have you been here? Yeah. And their answer is since Pentecost, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, Oh yeah, okay. Right. And so right. I think we forget that when we yes. look at when we hear the name Palestinian or Palestine. And then there's some just beautiful people doing hard things who love Jesus, who trying to live as peacemakers there.
1: Yes, yes, a lot of them.
0: Oh, a lot of them. So, let's talk about your book in the yeah. dark streets shining.
1: Mm-hmm. Tell
0: us a little bit about that. How did you meet Bashara and what made you go, I've got to write his story? What was compelling about his story where you felt like the world needs to hear
1: this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, as I got to know Bashar, first of all, he is the person who founded Bethlehem Bible College. So he's the brother of the man, the video that I first saw, who was talking about praying for the church in Gaza. Um, I quickly realized that this was a very influential Palestinian Christian family and they were fascinating to me as I started learning bits and pieces, um, of Bashara's life, of Alex, of their brother Mubarak, uh, Bashara's son Sammy, of their cousins, the Kutabs. Like, you know, there was, it just went on and on in terms of the influence and impact that this family had, a very strong Christian family. Um, who were raised by very, very strong Christian parents who were in ministry. Um, I'm talking about the Kutab and Awad family, like the broad, the broad family. Um, And, and they were so committed to the Lord, like they were such sincere and pure believers, like anywhere on earth. like if they lived here, you know, in the United States in one of our towns, they would be the kind of people you'd want to have involved in your church, like just the mm. most committed, beautiful people of faith and sincerity and love and compassion and and I was like, gosh, people. People need to know this story. And especially as I Bashar would mention things offhand or somebody else at the college would say something about. And I thought, people need to understand this story. Like, if people could hear the story of a family like this, maybe it would, at the very least, throw a wrench into the very easy peasy way that a lot of Western Christians have until now sort of looked at the situation and the lens through which they viewed it. the story is challenging, you know it's very, very challenging to Western Christians because it upsets a lot of the assumptions that we've had, and personally, I like it when things get upset. Mm-hmm. you know i I like it when my theology is challenged. I've always been that way, like I'm just a curious kind of questing person, and I think it's very, very good for us. Mm-hmm. you know not just become so settled into we know what we know what we know, you know there's that verse in the Bible. I can't think of it exactly, but it's like the cake isn't even turned over on the other side. You know, Mm -hmm. like you're just sort of laying there in a stagnant way. Right. We need to be shaken up from time to time. And this story of these Palestinian Christians really shakes things up. And so it just became um, a desire of mine to get this story out. Now, it's a story I would have never undertaken on my own. Bashara was saying, you know, when I first met him, oh, I need to find somebody to help me tell this story. And one day he looked at me and he said, maybe you could do it. And I said, oh, Bashara, you are a very well-connected man. You know people all around the world. I'm sure you know, like somebody who is a professional author who does this type of thing for a living who could help you. And he went, oh, maybe, you know, and that's what kind of stayed in the back of my head. Um, and then like a year or two passed and it just became very it maybe is a little bit too long of a story to share but it just became very apparent to me that the lord actually was calling me to do this <laughs> and i was like and i was like okay i love to write i've always felt like i would probably write a book someday but it's one of those you know someday 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 uh maybe this is my opportunity now to actually engage with trying to tell this story so i took a lot of time interviewing bashara and also many other members of his family and um in his voice began to tell his his story. So yeah.
0: I love it. And then yeah. here we have the book. How did you get the title?
1: It's a it's a line from "O Little Town of Bethlehem. Um I was talking with people, some in the publishing industry, and they're like, you need to have something short and punchy. I'm like, yeah, but I loved just the line, O Little Town of Bethlehem, where it goes, um, yet in the dark streets shine. With the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And it was like, that light is still shining in Bethlehem. Right. The streets are dark just right. as it was 2000 years ago. Right. Uh, when Messiah came into the world, it is dark in Bethlehem, but there is still that light shining right. and in it, you know, it contains the hopes and fears of all the years Absolutely. carrying that. And so, and I don't know if everyone's going to get it, but I'm going to go with that for the title. For For people who think a little bit more, they might put all, put all that together and, and get a message right there about what the story's about.
0: I think it's beautiful. I mean, I, I just love that. And, you know, I, I just, I always think of Bethlehem and in the, you know, the work we do with peacemaking, it's like peace was born in Bethlehem, the Prince of Peace, right? And it wasn't real peaceful at the no. time either. Like, it's not peaceful now. Right. Um, and it's hard for that that land has really not known a lot of peace, no. but that's where the Prince of Peace came. Yes, you know, that light you're talking about in the dark streets shining. Yes, and uh, it's it's beautiful when you again to hold both right darkness and light. Yes, and, and how um, how Jesus did he came to that place, and I always wonder you know it's like how do we even reframe Bethlehem now because now it, it you know it's it's thought of in Palestine right. But it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful land, and uh, it holds holds something really special to us because that is where our Prince of Peace chose to be born. Yes, and yes. Uh, and to walk the streets and to be there and and to you know imagine yes. what what would it have been like.
1: Yes, because you know,
0: we we think of cities, you know, like what well, Bethlehem them was a city? Well, it was a village, and not very, you know, and even the streets there—that old street that you walk in—that's yes. not on the tourist uh path yeah that old path that they would have used coming into Bethlehem yeah I you know when I walk that it's just like it kind of takes you back to a place like what what would it have been like right coming into this place
1: yes yes I remember my very first Christmas there like a lot of people were excited that I was over in the Holy Land I don't know that they really understood all the details of what exactly they were like oh See, people would write me, I can't wait to hear about your first Christmas in Bethlehem. And I really think they were picturing a Hallmark card exactly, or like exactly. some type of spiritual goosebumps on top of goosebumps, right. like, you know, and as it turned out, I was sick and I couldn't even go out. But but outside my window, I could hear protesters on the streets and I could hear the sound of the Israeli army firing tear gas on them. And I could hear the sound of ambulances
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: it was very very depressing you know and i remember feeling at first this sense of shame like i really wanted to have a meaningful christmas <laughs> here in bethlehem with you lord and this is like empty of everything and then it it occurred to me like this is actually the christmas story right here
0: oh for this sure
1: this is this is the real thing this is not the hallmark card right. this is you know the lord Emerging into this world in tangible ways in the midst of brutality. I mean, in the midst of bloodshed and occupation and violence and hatred and people at each other's throat, you know, the Lord, the Lord chooses to come in this place. Even I think like Jesus was crucified outside the gate. He was also born outside the gate, so to speak. Leo, Little Bethlehem, what are you? You're nothing. That's Mm -hmm. where he was. He wasn't born in the halls of power, like a few miles away in Jerusalem. And now Bethlehem and Jerusalem are separated by this huge wall and all these military surveillance towers. And I really just had the feeling like, here I am with you, Lord, outside the gate, where Mm -hmm. you are still being born in us. Right. And and here I am in this nasty little manger (laughs) with you, like. This this is and then it just became the most beautiful Christmas, like the most meaningful Christmas for me, all alone. Just laying there, um feeling the presence of the Lord in a way that I had never experienced before on Christmas Day. And that's something that I will never forget.
0: Well, you saw him in a new light, right? In a new yes. lamp. Yes. At, uh, and you and he was with you, you know. Emmanuel, God with us, and you were with Him, and it's beautiful. Kind of takes yeah. on takes on a whole new meaning. Um, in the few minutes we have left, I this has been so incredible. I want to ask you, what is something that you have learned from Bashara? Because
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: that family, and you know, I I know Sammy very well, and he has taught me so much and informed the work I do as a peacemaker because his lens has been on nonviolence. And what is, you know, how do we respond in love through the teachings of Jesus in a nonviolent way? And I've just learned so much from him. Um, And I know like Bashara, his his dad, that whole family embodies what it looks like to live out as a peacemaker, to live love, to live Jesus. What have you learned personally from your journey of writing and allowing Bashara's voice to be heard?
1: I think... I think one of the, these big takeaways that I've learned is really like how to be a peacemaker um involves a lot of complicated
0: things mm-hmm. for sure.
1: You know, one is that you have this conciliatory heart and a gentleness towards everyone, even your enemies and your own people who are suffering and trying to hold that simultaneously is not easy. I think Bashara manages to do that as well as anyone that I have seen. But it's more than that, too. It's also being able to have the courage to speak the truth about the root causes of the lack of peace, Mm -hmm. which, you know, in the case of people living in Bethlehem or throughout the occupied Palestinian territories, they live under a tremendous amount of injustice and abuse, which most of the world is not aware of, in which they have, like, just born year in, year out, decade in, decade out. The vast majority of them, um, you know, not even fighting back violently or doing anything like that. But so it's speaking truth, you know, to ears that don't necessarily want to hear it. Mm
0: -hmm. You know,
1: it's, it's the strong medicine that will actually cure the sickness, you know, is like, Like we all have to come to repentance for our own healing. We have to face, um, our own culpability, our own sin, our own participation in it. You know, that's one of the first steps that we have to do. And so there's like this, there's this side of being prophetic and truth telling, but combined with not rage, not hatred, not dehumanization, but with conciliatory, with a conciliatory hand stretched out and with compassion and with mercy and with, um, with hope in the Lord that things can change and it can, if we live by the principles of Jesus, it can change and it can get better. Mm-hmm. So I feel that Bashar has really and his, and his community, his family, they have really lived into, um, those aspects of peacemaking. And I've learned so much from them, you know, um, as a Westerner, as someone who sort of came in from a place of, sort of like the pinnacle of global privilege, you know, living in the United States as a white person, my Christianity was always sort of, it grew, you know, in that context. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really understand the type of faith that grows when you are at the underside of power. And yes. you're from, and you're not in the place of privilege, and that to me was very very challenging. And I feel that I'm still going through a reformation in my own faith as a result of my experience living with Palestinian Christians and seeing how they live their faith.
0: I love how you've said that a couple of times. It's we're all in our own journey with God, right? And and um, I know that a lot of in, in recent years I've had to do do a lot of unlearning,
1: yes, and learning. Yes,
0: right. me too. Yep. And I've been able to see God so much bigger, so much more inclusive, so much more loving as yes. a result. Yes, and and realizing that this God, He is so compassionate and loving. And how do I show up that way in this world yes. amidst the pain, the hatred, the yes. division, the violence? Right? How do we how do we show up like Jesus did when He showed up in this world? Right. Yes. And that's our challenge as followers of Jesus and not to not to enter into all the narratives of the world and go down that way. But how do we stand up differently? How do we show up differently? And you have done that. Um, And I just want to say thank you for showing up differently. Um, As we just kind of conclude, how can as our listeners are listening to this and someone may be like, Oh my gosh, I don't know if I agree with this. I don't know. It's okay. Right. We're just saying it's, it's not uniformity, but it's unity. And we're having a conversation that hopefully plants some seeds. Yes. That, that Hopefully this conversation will make somebody curious. Like when you yeah. went over the first time and said, Oh my gosh, I, I didn't know all this. I've got to learn this. Right. So our desire is that this conversation would open up more dialogue, Amen. more education more awareness and even praying differently to God to reveal Himself and to show each of us something because I know I'm still on my journey of learning, and yes. uh, and what that could look like. So, what is one thing you would say to those that go? I want to live as a peacemaker.
1: Mm. Well, I would say if in in terms of Israel and Palestine, if we could begin to advocate for for both people. Pray for both people, begin to empathize with both people, learn about the history of both people. And when I say both, I'm especially saying learn about the Palestinian, because that is the one that we know little to nothing about. Um, Love your neighbor as yourself. And Mm -hmm. if the church would begin to do that and take a position of I'm on the side of all the humans living here between the river and sea, I think we could be a tremendous force for real healing in that land. And that is my prayer um, with the suffering that is going on now, may all the lives of these people on both sides that have been lost and are continuing to be lost, may those lives not be in vain. If God would raise up more peacemakers who will engage with genuine compassion and open hearts for all of the people, that, that's really my prayer right now.
0: And that's our prayer. Amen. Thank you so much. For more information about living as a peacemaker in today's world, connect with us at AmplifyPeace.com and you can follow us on all social media.
1: Shalom. This program was sponsored by Amplified Peace.
0: When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up. When I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like. Rather than my skills. I want to be judged. By my political beliefs. I want to get promoted. Based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended. By my co-workers. And walk around the office. On eggshells. And have my words policed. By HR. Words like. Grandfather